gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Radio Gormagon. Today you have the Czar. Hi. And Pewter. Hello. And myself, Gort, uh, here to talk uh, about something, which hopefully we'll figure out in the next 40-ish minutes or before the podcast ends. Uh, At this rate, we'll probably have season four done by the end of the year. Because yeah, we're, by the end of season 12. Yeah, we're apparently pacing ourselves. Well, so, you know, let's be fair. I mean, you know, we were going to talk about television shows, but with just the three of us here, I mean, who, we, no, to be fair, we do have encyclopedic um, television knowledge among us, but, you know, without, without the doc, who's really our space nerd, along with Gord, obviously, you know, Vol, Vol Guy, Vol G, Vol whatever, the Vol. Yes, once again, he can't be with us today. Yes, he sends his regrets. Um, and then regrets, regrets, no regrets. And then Doc is apparently doing something fancy pants involving visual art and naked people and Cubist impressionism. And I don't know. So he's doing something like that with the family. And I'm like, yeah, he's at uh, the Atlantis Art Museum today. I believe there's uh, they're opening a new exhibition of some of his coloring books. Yeah, well, and I thought it was the psychological museum, you know, it's sort of like, you know, these are really bad. They were like sort of the, if you see these run the other direction, they're sort of, this is a mad doctor's coloring book. Um, Oh, uh, uh, look, uh, another artwork in the medium of force lightning. (laughs) (laughs) And scorched corpses. Just like the last 17 we've seen here today. Yeah, it's it's like, he, he makes a lot of art that looks like the Hiroshima wall, where it's just the shadow of the person. Because you know he the radiation. My pretty pony. Exactly. He makes he makes my pretty ponies. Yeah, that's true. He is a pony boy. I'm sure our listeners know he's he's actually kind of messed up. Well, he did fall on his head recently. Did he? Well, that's what I like to think. That's my explanation for it. Whether or not it's based in fact is completely non-substantiated. Seems to assuage most people who hear it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's like, you know, oh, you can't make fun of him. So I make him wear a helmet when we're out together. It's got his name taped to the front of it. So he just wanders around and, skip, you know, sometimes he'll fall down. And you know, when he gets to work, it's a little, you know, off-putting to the, the patients because he is a cardiologist, like that a legit cardiologist. So, I saw I mean, him in a Viking helmet the other day. I had no idea what he was trying to do. That's right. But it only had one horn. It was, it was <laughs> just the front. It was in the front. I think he was playing unicorn. He got confused about the ponies and it was like, you know, so, but it did have his name on it. It said doc right on the front of it. And he drew like little wicked lightning bolts. Like sometimes you'll see like in the ACDC thing, like you used to do in high school on your binder, you know, but so he'll walk around with a binder occasionally. This is true. He'll walk around with a binder and it's, it's a my little ponies trapper keeper. Oh, I thought it was one of those corrugated blue ones that feel like denim. Oh, those were really cool. I, he might have that. Yeah, I think he probably hole punched his trapper keeper and put it inside one of those binders, and then drew like force lightning all around it with ponies. With force lightning. With and, force li- li- and ligers. And ligers. And ligers. Definitely ligers. You do like some tots 
in Nashville. He likes the hot tots. Hot tots. Hot tots. Pop tart. How did he become Napoleon Dynamite? Well, I don't know. It just works that way. I don't think he has llamas, though. I think he has those little rat dogs. My pretty right. llama. My pretty he has llama. A new, he has a golden now, too. Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah. yeah. Me, me. I've just got the fancy greyhound. You do. And he's, yeah, he's kind of lazy yeah, longer, though. The fact you were, you were blaming the dog for the uh, horrendous amount of intestinal gas. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's the dog. No, actually, it was. I, I, for once, it actually was. It was peeling the paint off the walls. So, and that's always nice at the office when my when my paralegal has to come in and she's just looking at me and I'm like, no, really, it's the dog. And she's like, okay, sure, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure. So that's twenty years dog. ago. We had a no more than twenty. Gosh, probably thirty. Thirty years ago, we had a dog that would uh, startle itself. Uh, every time it farted, she would she would leap to her feet, spin around, and look at us like like somebody had poked her, and she wanted to know who it was. Well, it was you all know, you. It was me from afar. That's my superpower. So I'm trying to think. So that's where Doc is. Mandy, I think, is at Culver's or what's the other place? Geppetto's or whatever that oh, place. Portillo's. Yeah, you get the hot meat sandwiches or whatever they are. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the beef dippy things, the Italian beef, I think it is, right? Oh, yeah. See? Among Never. many other things that you can get there in a very uh, cost-effective but reliably good way, just in case they ever want to be our sponsor. The chocolate True. cake. Oh, Gotta chocolate get their chocolate cake. cake. They have custard, too, don't they? Culver's. No, that's, uh, Culver's. Not, not, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not a Wisconsin Culver's. thing. Yeah. You get cheese curds and um, angry curds, Kurdish angry rebels, curds. Kurdish separatists. Anything curd you can get at Culver's, which is also fast, efficient, and good if they have some extra money they want to throw our way. That would be nice. We need we need an official alcohol sponsor, though, even though I've given it up for a lot. Oh, oh, that's what you meant when you said you needed a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see? I totally misunderstood. Well, you thought I was going to be an African-American. That's what you thought. I am, I, I am not qualified to be your AA sponsor. No, you're overqualified is the problem. <laughs> So, so that's where, no, Mandy, I just like to think driving aimlessly. And every time I think of Mandy, I really think of him. I, well, first of all, I sing that, that um, Barry Manilow song in the background. I envision, I envision that playing softly in the background at the Alpen Hut with him playing a giant horn as we're all trying to eat dinner. That's what I kind of envision. Right in Volgi's face. God, I If only people could have seen it, it could not have been a more Volgi moment. Yeah, he was. I had the horn right in his face, and his eyebrow was raised like six inches higher than the other. Like he was, he was bemused. It was clear he had no idea what to do. Yeah, he, that was totally a Volgi, Volgi, Vol, Vol, the Vol, the Vols. One of those moments where you just knew that he was trying to process what was actually going on and figure out what the proper thing to do was. He couldn't have been more surprised if a guy opened up his mouth and a weasel came out of it. I mean, that was the, the look he had on his face. It was it was a classic moment. Let's be honest about it. That, so that was well, great. Was a good moment to go to the men's room. Although I certainly got an earful from you when I returned to the table. It's because we had to tip to get the guy to go away. <laughs> I know. And when I saw he was there, I hid. Well, that's I always have... thought I always thought that Peter thought sung the song uh, by Looking Glass of Brandy, but rebranded it to Mandy. Now Brandy's a damn good song. I will not have you besmirch that song. No, it's a great song. I will tell I mean, you though, 
that the Mandarin does drive aimlessly. He will sometimes get in his car and he will just drive around to see what's going on. Yeah. Where are you today? Kentucky. No, I would argue I would argue that the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, both both ones, one and two, are awesome. Both movies. At first I thought great. that was an incredible non sequitur, but you did really tie it back into what we were talking about. Yeah, to Brandy. So but it could be Mandy. Where are we? Don't care. Uh, that's the nice thing about being Gen X and over 50. It's like, fuck it. Don't care. Don't care. Go on. You can call me whatever you want. Don't care. Go go bitch at whatever you want. Don't care. Incoming pewter rant. What? I mean, it's just, I'm just tired of it. I mean, I'm just sick and tired of being told, you know, the term racist is lost all meaning. And then there was something in, I was reading because we get this Sunday Times, New York Times. Um, you know, their, their opinion section is always interesting. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in there about how being, <laughs> calling anti-racism racist, which it plainly is based on the definition of racism, which is the long established and legal definition of racism, which is discriminating on the basis of race, um, you know, solely on the basis of race. It is. It's just flat out is. Now, is it for a good reason? Maybe we can have that discussion. But, the, you know, I don't think regardless it's racist, just definitionally. And they're like, oh, no, of course it's not. And that just proves you're bigger racist because you're pointing out the fact that it's racist and it's not racist. So it just it drives, stuff like that drives me nuts. And it's Marxist. I mean, it's Marxist to redefine language and to make it mean what it doesn't mean. You know, and then you get, well, words change all the time. And I'm like, not overnight and not based on 5% of the population deciding the word means the opposite of what it meant yesterday. And the person I blame for all this crap is Roberts. Because Roberts said 10 years ago, I don't know, it's a while ago, he said, the way to discriminate, to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. I wish somebody would just fucking get up there and read that line back to him in a a race-based case and just say, did you mean it when you wrote it, Mr. Chief Justice? I mean, I would just flat out say, it's like, look, you said this. If you're not going to follow up this up, you need to you need to say this is no longer what I believe. I mean, just tell us what you believe, and then we cannot bring these cases anymore because I'm waiting for you to decide. Oh yeah, maybe one day it's the Sandra Day O'Connor. Twenty-one years from now, we'll decide that racism has ended. Whatever that decision was, I even forget what it was. It was one of the Michigan cases, I think, about using race as an admissions criteria, and it, it just. And I was like, where the hell did you pull 21 or 25 years out of, of your ass? I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? It's, it's, you know, this is the problem. Term limit all the fucks. Everybody. The Congress. I'm talking to staff on the Hill because I don't want those fuckers around for 40 years. I, the, politician should not be a career choice, as Cuomo's finding out, who's also a fucker, literally, <laughs> allegedly. I just want to say allegedly at this point. And that's the thing that, you know, I always assume all these male politicians are doing this sort of horse shit. I mean, the more powerful you all, I, I just assume there's some of this in your background, right? Especially when you're as big a jerk as Cuomo is, you know, but it's like the thing that really irks me about that is media knew it and they've known it for years. And so have the other politicians in the state. And so is everybody. And nobody has said a damn word. Nobody's, nobody's, admitted to it nobody's called him on it nobody's done anything and he's just continued this pattern of being an asshole and harassing everybody and badgering everybody and saying i'm going to destroy your life and at a certain point what do we have a media for 
I mean, what, why, why? Sorry, that's my rant. I was going to add though that, um, you know, a lot of the confusion and I've, I've got some long form uh, essays up on the site about this, um, about at least about race, that there are two definitions that are constantly in play. Um, and a lot of that depends on your, your political uh, angling. So for example, if you're more on the right, you tend to look at the traditional legal civil rights definition of racism, discrimination of, uh, against a person based solely on their race or largely on their race. And one that developed in uh, the late 80s, um, I don't know, Peter's pointing to a bottle of seltzer. I don't know that that's not helping me, um, it, which is really the dawn of the whole critical race theory movement. Um, I actually had to look it up real quick here. Uh, that it was uh, Williams, Crenshaw, and uh, Mary Matsuda who uh, first came up with the uh, critical race theory, which basically says that uh, racism is more of an economic uh, argument. Uh, it goes back to the Frankfurt School back in the 1930s when everything was a Marxist economic argument, that, that race was now a class and it's class v. class. So um, if you look at it from you know, if you really try to force racism into a Marxist argument, then the leading economic power uh, in, a, in a culture, white males, uh, they are the oppressors and everyone who is not is immediately in a class below that they're, you know, they're, they're more the, the, the working class. And uh, that's how that originates. Well, and that's, that's conflating socioeconomics with, with race, right? And there's no reason we need to. I mean, yeah, I can agree that there's socioeconomic issues going on in this country, and I can agree that there's racial problems going on in this country. But the, there might the be some overlap of the two. But it's not socioeconomics isn't racist. No, but the the clash between those two definitions is yeah. what explains a lot yeah. of it. Like, for example, what what happened recently at Coca Cola with, um, you know, how to how to recognize if you're being incurably white only makes sense if you're looking at it that you're born into that economic class. Um, I remember having an argument probably 1988, I'd say. So this is a year after that uh, critical race theory kind of entered uh, academia with, a, with a, an individual who was uh, actually, a, I think he was Mexican-American, um, who was flabbergasted at the idea that he was espousing racism because he was not white. He didn't understand that. That that it that to him it could only be one way. It it's it's literally a white person against everyone else. And the fact that he would say that, I said, that's you sound like you're judging you know other people based on their race. That that itself would be you know a definition of racism. He he kept insisting, no, that's not racist at all. I, I you know a, a non-white person cannot be racist. Well, and I didn't understand that like I do now that. Well, that's exactly what critical race theory believes, that, that it, it has conflated white with racist based purely on a socioeconomic argument, which you know, makes no sense uh, logically. But if you apply that definition to a lot of the crazy stuff you're seeing in social media and in the news, well, now it makes sense why someone who believes that would make that following comment. But I don't, I don't understand. I mean, this is sort of, if your end goal is to get rid of racism, right? 
And even if you use it, let's assume you're operating under the Marxist definition. No, I think it's to get rid of capitalism. Well, so we can all be equally miserable. I mean, I right. get that, right. but I mean, but the deal is you're sort of operating under the definition of racism where in order to combat racism, we have to have more racism by fighting against the other class, you know, and I get the, I get the notion of the oppressor class, but I mean, at a certain point, I mean, don't you just kind of throw up your hands and say, you guys are fucking idiots and move on. I mean, that's sort of where I'm at and, and I get it. Yeah, most of the world has done exactly that, but it seems to still linger here that, I mean, the the, the struggle is eternal, right? I mean, they're never going to say we successfully eliminated a, a social evil. We're always going to find another example of it uh, to stretch and tease and pull into a new shape uh, that into, uh, and that shape is always a hammer that they can hit you with or a sickle with which they can cut you. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the, the real thing is that the most serious instances of legally tolerated and legal based racism are gone they're just gone i mean they haven't it hasn't been legal to discriminate on the basis of race in my entire lifetime did it happen yes does it happen today yes is it wrong yes but i mean it's like and i get this disparate impact theory is just bullshit to prove up racism i mean it's like well all these people and i'm going well, all these white people are paying all these taxes, so taxes must be racist. You know, it's like, do you want to get into disparate impact analysis? Do we really want to have this fight? Well, there's a good government purpose for that because you have the money. Well, you think it's a good purpose, you know, and it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, prove your case or don't. Either the people are racist or they're not. I mean, it's like, just make your case. You can't just assume this wide swath of the U.S. is racist, you know, because we're not. It's not. I mean, this country is so much less racist today than it ever has been. I mean, even in my lifetime, the difference. I mean, when I was growing up in D.C., I used to hear the N-word not infrequently and from white people. I mean, it wasn't, you know, now I would be stunned if I heard it from a white person directed to a black person or about a black person in a derogatory way today, at least the people I hang out with. You know, so that's anecdotal. You know, I get it. But I mean, it's just it's not acceptable in most of the country. Everybody knows it. I mean, it's just not acceptable anymore. And it's. Well, if you're a New York times uh, columnist who merely quotes someone who said it, you lose your job. I mean, in some respects, it's a little more than anecdotal. That's got a very real world impact. He lost his job over it. Well, you know, I, there is something to be said for the left eating its own though. I do. You gotta love to see it. I mean, I feel badly for the man because I think that was completely legitimate use and I think you're starting to see that, and we're seeing it in New York, and this is part of the Get Cuomo thing, is that you've got the progressives who are way, 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 way left, like the AOC wing, like the crazy, and that's like a large part of our assembly and our Senate, and they are knives out for Cuomo. They want to get rid of any sort of this Clinton, they call it the moderate Democrats. It's like, that man's not moderate, but he's the most moderate one of you clowns, and I was like, that's the best I can hope for. Well, I'd say that yeah. cannibalism is the funniest form of cannibalism and interestingly also the most useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, to pull this thread in that direction, I think we're going to see more and more of it with this Biden administration. I mean, just look at the Syria missile strike and the fact that Harris wasn't even in the loop and now she's livid over it. You know, she's going to throw a cow. Ilhan Omar is requoting tweets of Jen Psaki from two or three years ago where she questioned 
the legal authority, right, of doing such kind of attacks. Um, other people are criticizing Biden for not advising at least Congress that he was going to take this action. And we're not at a state of war with Syria. So there's that whole issue. And, and it's just all these topics that are starting to be brought up. And I'm like, well, at least some people are starting to ask the same questions that they were, that they would a Republican in that yeah. position. I think they're relatively consistent on that. I mean, honestly, and I, I, my position on it is sort of an absolutist position is unless there's a congressional declaration of war, the president doesn't have power to do shit except in self-defense of the country, period. Period. And I like that they tried to spin it that they were actively defending U.S. troops. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. There no, US, there no U.S. troops. It's, to the extent there not are, there's special forces. There's special forces. They're not there. I mean, what a load of shit. I mean, it's like you want to do it fine, but get congressional. You know, at least get the gang of eight together, which are the top four. What is it? The Speaker of the House, the top ranking republic, the top ranking ranking Republican and Democrat in both the House and the Senate, and then the top two ranking members of the intelligence committees. Intelligence, what it right? Is. And yep. you just get them together and tell them. Except that one of them, Schiff, who's a my God. Anyway, but you know, I've got a, a couple of tests that I use to to test the veracity of of claims from the left, um, and I think. One or two of these uh, are computer shares as well. Uh, you know, for example, like you, you can tell when uh, Democrats are feeling like they're losing terribly because the same talk about making D.C. a state comes back or bringing Puerto Rico into the fold. Or maybe we have to change the, the Senate from representing states to representing uh, portions of the population. That's always a sign that, you know, we don't know how to win. Electoral but, college. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have to abolish the electoral college because uh, we, we can't we can't win legitimately until they do. And then it's fine. Uh, but the the test in this case uh, that that I find pretty reliable is anytime that you hear or read comments about how the GOP is tearing itself apart and it's just seconds away from a civil war. And, uh, you know, what's the future going to be? Because the party is at a, at a breaking point. Uh, that's when you can be pretty sure the left is eating its own. Yeah, and I do this with my liberal relatives, right? They they fire off one of these about, oh, like what's what's going to happen? They haven't brought up CPAC yet, so I'm waiting for that one to to drop here this week. But but they'll bring up some comment about uh, what's her name, the crazy GOP, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green. Yeah, yeah, Marjorie Green. They'll bring up something she said on the floor, or whatever. I'm like, I I don't really care. Like, what's Biden doing? Like Let's be consistent in how we cover him. Like, hey, what newspaper is reporting that he's crossed 75,000 or 100,000, wherever we are, COVID deaths since he's taken office? Like, let's be a little consistent in our coverage here. And, and I poke at them and they're like, well, why are you always talking about Biden? I'm like, because Biden's our president right now. So what else do you want me to talk about? Like, you, you want to do the whataboutism with Trump? I thought we were past that. I mean, you beat us up about you can't do whataboutism during the Trump administration with Obama. So why should we do it for Trump during I, the Biden one? I agree. You know, I mean, every time I just say to people, it's like, well, when's Joe going to apologize for the 125,000 dead on his watch? Because he clearly killed them all if we're following the same Trump standard, because he told us he had a plan day one. And, I, you know, he said he's going to get a million, you know, millions and millions of vaccines in everybody's arms. And it was going to be, you know, 
hope and love and peace and justice and you know doves were going to come from the sky and unicorns for doc and everything like that but it was it was like it's just not and it's, it's part of the problem is that congress doesn't do its job it just flat out doesn't legislate and it, it it allows the executive to be way more powerful than the executive should be and the courts to be way more powerful than the courts were ever intended to be um, particularly the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's legislating now. It's a super legislature. It never should be doing that. Ever, ever, ever. Um, and, you know, Congress wanted to stop this stuff. Provoke the War Powers Act. You can do it. Do it. Just do it. You have the power of the purse. Don't put that shit in the budget. Don't fund stuff. Just don't do it. You can do it. I mean, it's, they just won't. They won't make the hard decisions. They won't take hard stances. They want the issues. I mean, immigration is easily solved just is. I mean, it, you could compromise and get something that everybody would hate, but you could do it in six months and nobody wants it because everybody wants it as a live issue. I mean, that's, you know, you could trade border security for a path to green cards, not citizenship for the, give the, give the dreamers green cards. I don't care. Just give them green cards. Nobody else gets a damn thing. They, they're welcome to go home and stand in line you know, but we're not going to actively go after them. But the border's shut and we're tracking visa people harder. I mean, and we can let more people in. I don't have a problem with that. Let more people in. We just need to know who they are and what they're doing here. And they need to check in more and we need to be better at it. We need to throw people out when their visas are up. Hey, Peter, it's interesting that uh, you and about uh, 300 million other Americans have an opinion on uh, immigration policy and Merrick Garland doesn't. Well, Apparently it never occurred to him to even have a thought about it. Well, he's dead. So to be fair, I mean, after that tragic death, I mean, it's Gort amazing up, that he's even there. Gort brought up CPAC. And uh, right now I'm enjoying one of my other favorite tropes that I see every year whenever CPAC happens. Um, and that's uh, and, and you kind of tied into exactly what it was with with your relatives and, and MTG is, um, you know, well, what about that? And the reason that they're so obsessed with her is the psychology of being on that side of the aisle on that side of the aisle, you're pretty much in lockstep. Um, if you're a politician with what the party is doing. So if she's saying things like that, it's because that's what the GOP believes. And I see this every, every year with, with uh, CPAC, which, you know, I tweeted today is followed by only about 10% of conservatives and the other 90%, uh, uh, are all media people just looking for the next thing to be outraged by. Um, the psychology angle here is that Democratic voters always tend to look at their party as having a unified leadership and a completely consistent platform all the way down. And they continuously look for that on the right. So, you know, the last couple of years, obviously, Trump is the visionary. So if we hate the GOP. We can certainly hate him. Um, you know, in other years, you know, Sarah Palin briefly was was the person who was in charge. She was calling all the shots for the party. Rush Limbaugh was the the head of the Republican Party. I don't know, like six, seven times. Uh, and it's always during the CPAC conference because they believe the purpose of CPAC is to elect or anoint the new visionary who's going to unify the GOP all the way down in terms of what they believe in, and for a platform. And I, I don't believe that people on the left realize just how fractionalized conservatives really are. If you if you point to me two conservatives who agree on everything, you're not asking enough questions, because I, I think out of millions of, of people who are conservatives, 
you're not going to find any two who absolutely agree on anything. And it's, it's the nature of being, I think, a conservative is that you tend to be an independent thinker. You have your own opinions on things. You don't necessarily follow the crowd. Um, you have your own idea of what freedom is because that's the whole purpose of it. Um, whereas again, on, on the left, um, they really do like everybody to be just marching to the same beat. So yeah. they, they've got their leader that they follow right now. It's Joe Biden. Um, I, I know that Peter rolled his eyes because I, I, it's delusional really to think that that's, that it's any different really on the left. Um, uh, we, we just talked about how they're, they're eating themselves internally because they, you know, there's so many different powerful factions that disagree internally. Uh, but they do, a, uh, I think do a better job of messaging that, uh, to, to their voters that this is what we believe and this is what we support. Whereas on the right, Folks, we just don't care. You know, we don't care what what Trump really thinks about anything. We don't care that Mike Pence, good for Mike Pence that he, you know, he won't dine in in public with a woman without his wife being there, or at least a group of people. We don't really care. And we don't have a single voice or a single leadership that we have to be beholden to at every point in time. But they're always, every CPAC so desperate to find out who that person is so they can learn what that person believes and then destroy him or her in the media. Over the last over the last two or three months, this has been the conversation that I've had with my liberal relatives and, and other liberals, and they will bring up all sorts of stuff that's going on. Well, did you see Trump said this? And did you see Ted Cruz said that? And, and I'm like, you guys are so invested in this that it is taking up so much of your time that you know these details. I'm like, I'm not even tracking half of the stuff you send me. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Government is not that important to my life, right? It's it's just not that important. And in fact, if they're less important, I'd be more happy in my life. And they don't get that. It, it just, you can, you can hear it. I'm putting that in quotes because this is all via emails and all, but, but you can read into it in their, in their dialogue that they find that completely baffling that it's not the, the end all be all for me that, you know, Trump and the GOP and everything that it's a single party and that I'm, I am part of the party, right? It's, yeah, I, I might vote to vote for the party, but I'm not, I'm not the party. I'm not in the party. I'm, I'm, I view the party as the politicians. And to Peter's well, earlier point, I think the best thing that we could do is get term limits and I'll go one step further. I think any federal level election should have caps on what you can spend. I think like big $10 million dollars for a presidency or I don't know, 500K for a, for a congressional position and cap it. Because I am, I'll tell you, I'm sick and tired of it. I get the text message bombs that I've been getting as part of this last campaign. I like want to throw my phone against a wall. There's a big difference right there. So, for example, and I, you know, no no reason to get into it, uh, but I I disagree with with term limits. Uh, but you know, that because I'm a conservative, that's a healthy conversation we can have. I think if I were a liberal, and you were a liberal, and you said that we need to have term limits, the very next thing I'd be doing is copying and pasting that on the Facebook, without well, even thinking about it. Right, because they rule through fear and intimidation. So it's right. You're not marching the party line. So you must not be part of the party. Well, I've said, and they they're afraid of admitting that they will not. 
like my liberal relatives are afraid to even touch the abortion topic. It's well, like look a what could happen to them. Yeah, look what could happen. You could actually have European level abortion laws, which are based on science. I mean, that's what would happen in the U.S. I mean, would I prefer there were none? Yes. Is that going to happen in the U.S.? No. But I mean, what's likely to happen is that I don't know why Republicans aren't messaging this way, at least in the legislature, and just saying, hey, look, here's here's a study of Europe. You guys are always talking about how awesome Europe is and how sciencey it is and how godless it is. All those things are pretty true. Here are their abortion laws based on science. And we have, you know, we're up there with Russia and North Korea. And there's like one or two other crazy countries with just abortion on demand through birth. We're like an outlier in the world by far. He sits in judgment, he stands for the law, kind of looks like a hero and sounds like your paw. He complains and he moans, he's whipped by antennas, he narrates his main pulse and tells us who the threat is. Cormagon pewter. When teachers are naughty and politics are corrupt, when food kicks are bad and things do, but Peter is sure to include the potty. Got a buddy named Slimstack and a paralegal named McGee. McGee. With Peter. Doesn't do it from church, doesn't do it from his abode. He does it on the throne, a throne called the commode. Catch Cormagon Pewter on this channel, WGOR, right after Matlock. I was going to come back to this point about sort of Democrats in lockstep. I think they have to be, literally have to be for their party to survive because they, the Democratic Party today, the modern Democratic Party, is nothing more than a group of loosely affiliated and oftentimes groups in conflict of, of grievance groups who have banded together to push agendas. And part of that grand bargain, because and I'll get to an example here shortly, but part of that grand bargain is we will not talk about where we deviate and we will only talk about where we agree. These are my two main issues. And if you're not on board with these issues, you're dead to us. And that's how they built their coalition. If you look at blacks versus the rest of the party, the black community is on the whole far more socially conservative, and so is the Hispanic left, far more socially conservative than the white left, just far more. I mean, they're not huge fans of abortion. They don't like homosexuality. I mean, and if you want an example of that, the 2008 Obama election in California was prop whatever was on the ballot at the time, which was gay marriage, prop nine, prop eight, whatever it was. But it was like one of those, one of those ballot issues, and Obama won huge. And the black turnout was massive. And so was the Hispanic turnout. Was, I think it was among the biggest it's ever been in California as a percentage of the electorate. And, and the, the ballot on gay marriage failed and it wasn't close. And it wasn't, you know, it was not close. So, I mean, you, so that's what happens. And nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that sort of horrible tension and that horrible disconnect with, um, with uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted because Gort's got Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite dancing me. behind him now. So the, but it's, it's, it's just that horrible bargain that they've made and they can't break that bargain without having their entire party destroyed and come apart at the seams. And that's no, why they're, they're, the tail to die on. 
there are even stronger examples in that too. I mean, you've got a party where you've got to cater to both traditional Jewish thought and Muslims, which gonna say is not strictly compatible. And then you've got again Muslims and the gay community, which obviously do not get along. And um, women women's rights in that and women's throw right. women's rights in there. Uh, no, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, you're you're well, exactly and, right for the reasons you say. And bounce that against uh women's rights against the whole uh, as as three of three says the alphabet soup group, right? The LGBTQ plus community. And even within that community, it's fractured, right? There is a contingent of the gay community that is staunchly anti-trans. And because it's destroying the message that they've had. Because trans is not sexual orientation. I mean, trans, I've asked my gay friends who are very liberal, you know, and God love them. I said, and many of them have sort of intimated but won't say it out loud that it doesn't really make any sense that it's sort of like, well, they're marginalized too. And I was like, so why not American Indians? I said, so why not poor, poor black people? Why don't you put poor black people in there too? I mean, why don't you put like, you know, I don't Irish Americans with four fingers. I mean, if you're just doing it on the basis of marginalization and not like actual interests, I mean, LGB makes sense to me. Or Caucasian garbage, because we know we can't say the other epithet for it. Correct. That's right. So yeah, God forbid anybody say white trash. The, uh, the, but it's, it's just, that coalition never made sense to me until I figured out why. And the reason was they were just uniting together. To, it's a mutual support group for the right. basic grievance. It's like you back oh. me and I'll back you. More specifically for political power. Purely. I presume you've all seen Dave Chappelle's recent uh, Netflix special where he tells a parable about driving in a car with, you know, you've got the, the gay driver, the bisexual uh, in the back, you've got the lesbian driver in the co-seat, and then they pick up the trans slash queer person. Uh, I won't spoil it for anyone, but um, it's it is solidly on the nose. Well, I I don't know, I don't know about Gort, but I love Chappelle just simply because his accent is very DC, and it's it's just a it's he's around our age, and it's sort of a similar. I mean, he grew up in Silver Spring, I think, but it's it it's near to DC, and it's just one of those sort of our age are sort of coming up. And he's got a very similar libertarian-ish ethos, I think, to a lot of Gen X, which is kind of like, you don't bother me, fine. Pave your own way, fine. You know, I, I, I can't get that worked up about it. Keep your yard nice, be a good neighbor, and we'll be fine. You know, other than that, all that other stuff is great. But, you know, now everybody, the boomers and the Zoomers and all those idiots have gotten us sideways and and Zars was frozen for a second there, but they've, they've sort of thrown the whole the whole political shenanigans into this sort of weird overdrive function. And I'm, some of this is driven by the fact that both parties' leadership is octogenarians or damn close these days, and I'm just done with it. If you're 80 years old, you should be sitting in a retirement home on a beach or eating ice cream out of your $30,000 refrigerator. I mean, I don't care, but you're, you cannot tell me you're as sharp at 80 years old as you are at 40. So- well, and it's- I think it varies by person, but I would I would argue that again it's another reason why I would support term limits. But the core reason, and and maybe this is a good topic for another podcast. Maybe maybe the czar and I should have a uh, have a little debate here on it. But I'm you know term limits. I trace back to the origins of the country. Like it was, you know, politician wasn't 
a career, it was something that it was viewed as civic duty that you go and you do, and then you go back to your farm or your law practice or slave owning, slave owning. Right. I'm not supporting that by any means, but, but you go back to your regular life. So it shouldn't be considered a career. I I think the, the, other argument I would make in support of the sort of term limits from the founding era was that if you look at the, the ages they put on certain offices for eligibility, I mean, what was the president's 40, I think? You know, 35. Is it 30? I thought that was Senate. But anyway, yeah, it's 35. So whatever, whatever it is, that was old at that time. I mean, if you had lived to that age at the time, I would bet that average life expectancy at that time is probably close to 40. I mean, I don't know, 1790s, but I mean, it, it was probably, I mean, so many kids just died in childbirth. You know, you got an infection, you died. You know, people were just dying left and right all the time. It was part of life. That's why you had 17, well, and that there was no birth control, but you had like 17 kids in a family with five of them would die, you know, before one. Um, you know, it's that sort of thing. It's just kind of, I don't know, I guess it's, a topic for another day, but that's sort of my argument for term limits is that I think we just need, you know, even if we don't have term limits, can we just cap the age at which you can run for office? I mean, that's, that's a little sort of a bargain I would be willing to live with. It's like, if your term is over four years or four years are over, you can't run after you're 70 or 72. I mean, pick it, pick a year. I mean, if you're eligible for social security, we should be thinking about, you should be retiring. You know, within reason. I mean, I, you know, some people are great until they're 75, 80, but, you know, but most are not, you know, I, I think of Strom Thurmond and Ted Kennedy and like people like, you know, and um, who's the other guy, Bird, Robert Bird. I mean, it just, people were taking up, up space. So what do I know? I mean, that's a discussion for another day, I guess. Different topic. Yep. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry. I'm having a lot of connection issues in the last 10 minutes. I don't know what's going on locally. It's because Muscovy sucks. I mean, your service is basically crows flying messages back and forth. Maybe today. Don't know. We're buried under still quite a bit of snow. Yeah, we still got some. Ours is melting off though. Probably still got about four or five inches on the ground. Well, anyway, uh, I caught some of the discussion on term limits. I'll, I, uh, well, we should probably devote that to another conversation. I would just suggest uh, that Gort look into the, the effect of term limits on the bureaucracy yeah, uh, because a number of places have tried it and have immediately regretted it. Oh, I would term limit bureaucrats still. Yeah. That I, would, I, that would... I've got no problems with that. It's like you can only serve 10 years and as a bureaucratic at any level, state, local, federal period. But Bang. from a, uh, from an argumentative aspect, I would say that it's important not to conflate um I mean, what Gordon said earlier was that, you know, was, politics is meant to be just a short term part time job that you do. You serve your role and then you go back. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily tied to term limits. I, I think that's another topic of conversation that we are basically have bred ourselves a career path of professional politician. There's no job for them to go back to. Uh, I mean, they're a lot of them are just failed attorneys that, that couldn't get elected for a, or elected, couldn't get hired by a private employer or uh, survive working in a, you know, a high pressure law firm. They've got their legal degree. They've just managed to pass the bar. So they go into politics. Well, it's commu- community organizers, too. Yeah, I mean, for you know, example. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's yeah. a, it's a legitimate career path if you're not good at anything and those people have no other job to go back to. So they're going to do everything they can to keep it. And, you know, this comes back to the number of, you know, when you look at percentages, uh, when you look at Congress uh, or even state legislatures, what percentage of them are attorneys? What is it like 78 to 80 percent of them? It's high. It definitely and is if high. You were, you know, if you're a decent attorney, you don't get into politics. No, because you don't want you don't want any parts of it. You know, I mean, it's, maybe it's maybe at the local level. I mean, maybe, maybe at the local level, but other yeah, than that, serving on a school board is always a good thing. And, and of course there's plenty of good arguments to the contrary. Like, you know, like Trey Gowdy was a brilliant prosecutor before he went into politics. Um, Ed Cruz. Yeah. The vast majority of, of people in politics have legal degrees and they are in the category that I would say is you're not really good at anything. Cruz, Cruz was a very, very good solicitor. I mean, as solicitor general, I mean, he was solicitor general Mm -hmm. in Texas for a while. I mean, Gowdy, but you're right. The general, I mean, wasn't Ted, Ted Kennedy was a lawyer. He's an idiot. Barack Obama's a lawyer. I don't think he's an idiot, but I don't think he's a great lawyer. And he's never really worked a legal job. No, um, no, you're right. Yeah. He's just kind of, I think he interned for a, which is yeah. where he, uh, he met Michelle. Um, he briefly interned uh, for a, a Chicago law firm, but I could be wrong on that. But yeah, anyway, that's that, that that's, I think are two separate uh, conversations that we could have. Yeah. Did you see, uh, speaking of the stuff not getting reported, I, I might wager that you guys haven't heard this, although you guys are pretty tuned in, but uh, what's his name? Bacara, who's the HHS nominee. Becerra, Javier Becerra. Sure, yeah. Becerra. He testified in his hearing that he's never sued any religious group of nuns right. or organization that was nuns. And it's clearly a lie. I mean, he was AG of... California and the, and sued the little sisters of the poor didn't sued he? the little sisters of the poor while he was AG. So well, either a, Catholic, he didn't know what his state was doing wrong, or he's flat out lying more. Likely. Or he really doesn't know that the little sisters of the poor are nuns, which is entirely <laughs> possible to me too. I would entertain that argument if somebody made a good case for it. Like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, he's dumb as a post. There's your argument. I, mean, I, mean, I, I thought they were, you know, uh, uh, women slaves to the Vatican. Right, but Jen Rubin, Jen Rubin, clearly stated and assured us that this administration won't be lying to us. I don't know how she still has a job. <laughs> I, she is. I, I honestly fear for her mental health. I mean, honestly, oh, I agree. God, I think she's she's snapped. I, I, I she used to be kind of sane, kinda, and she, she Trump broke her. I mean, just something inside of her snapped and she has lost her mind. I mean, she was defending the Lincoln project even after this stuff came out. And I'm like, whoa, 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 honey. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, I shouldn't have said honey, that's sexist, but whoa, crazy lady. I mean, it's just, she's nutbag. I mean, just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started on the Lincoln project. Like those guys, they, they have it just like I beat up Ruben on Twitter about having the word conservative in her bio. She doesn't have a conservative bone in her body. She's never posted anything that is could even be construed as conservative. She's a liberal nature. Jewish woman, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, God bless you, but just don't pretend to be conservative. And Washington Post should say, you're no longer a conservative. You never have been. You're fired because we need a conservative columnist. No, right. that's not going to happen. 
But I mean, that's what should happen because she was their conservative, quote, conservative columnist. Who is it now, Gerson? I have heard many times that um, a lot of these so-called conservative people in media are what a liberal believes a conservative should be. They're the person that you can sit next to at a dinner party, for example, and basically nod your head and say, yep, you're right. All your criticisms are true. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they've never actually encountered a real one who's going to say, no, and here's 25 reasons why what you just said is completely wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you, what you believe is nice, but it's not the facts. I mean, I will accept that you feel this way and I accept that you're upset about it. Um, but you're wrong, you know, and you can be, go be upset about that too. Here's oh, yeah, why you're Mandarin wrong. going on some of these people, the, uh, Rick Wilson's, the, uh, Max Boots, the, uh, you know, just, he, he has a whole list of them that he'll go down and say, and there's another one. And here's another name for you, um, that, you know, these people have never been conservative. No. Uh, maybe they believe they are, but they're, the important thing is their employers think they are. They're conservative by DC and New York city media standards which Correct. is like all you're talking about the left of the left and don't get me started on journalism schools which is another podcast we could just go off on for days um but it's it, journalism when reporters became journalists it ruined the profession just as when teachers became educators you knew the profession had become political it just gone around the bend and they didn't care anymore about what their job their original job was and what the goal of that job was because they can't be fired usually unless you know unless in media you get caught with the rape button and you're banging women and you know what's what's your name savannah guthrie gets to pretend she didn't know what's going on for years which is a load of horse shit that they let her get away with that i i anyway upper so, class media right gort upper class media i'm i'm adopting it as well i love it Computer's probably not aware of this, but uh, Volgi up on something called Slack, which he always gets mad if I mention in your presence because he, he doesn't want you on it. Um, yeah, I don't blame him. Well, he says it's the only place where we can talk. Um, <laughs> he posted an article. It was a very lengthy. I, I, if you were to print this thing, it would probably be like 14 pages long because he doesn't read anything that's less than 68 paragraphs. With uh, footnotes. Paragraphs, <laughs> with footnotes. And this one had him how the GOP can capitalize on Trump without ever mentioning. Oh, we've lost. Oh. Uh, so it was capitalizing on essentially the Trump era and moving forward from the Trump era. But there we go. Thanks. You never have to mention Trump. Like you, you essentially adopt some of the liberal approaches and actually some Marxist approaches and you turn it into uh, an argument about classism. And so you define it as that you're the party for the working class and that you're fighting against the upper media class. That makes sense. Uh, I mean, upper, in the class, upper class politicians, upper, upper class, class media, media. Upper, upper class, class academia. Oh, never yep. refer to colleges and universities or the, it's always upper class colleges and upper class university professors say. Well, um, I get, again, this is sort of the government job phenomenon. I mean, I, it, it's the upper class government worker because you are because you basically can't get fired. I mean, and no. nobody else has a job like that. Right. But, I mean, it, but let me tie it back. It's it's back to Zar's earlier comments about racism and socioeconomics. Yeah. You're tying you're just it back flipping, to that. Mm -hmm. you're, you're just flipping, flipping it around. The narrative, as they yeah. like to say. In Flip the script. Flip the script, man. All right. With that, we should probably wrap up. I'll tell you the other topic I'm going to throw out there is, is where's the UCCB? 
So, oh, USCCB? USCCB, yep. Uh, oh, if which, you expected which, the USCCB to come out and do anything about Democratic politicians talking about abortion and supporting it and claiming they're Catholic, I, I don't know how Biden gets communion or Pelosi uh, gets communion. I mean, I, I would be too embarrassed to present myself for communion. I think there's rifts coming. I think this Biden-Harris presidency is really going to expose some cracks in a lot of institutions. Well, that's what the thing. That's what the Democrats have wanted for years. <laughs> Exposing cracks. Well, that and that was that was the whole bathhouse culture in the San Francisco in the seventies, which was early Democrat culture. But um, it was it's no, they wanted to tear down the Democrats spent forty years, fifty years tearing down institutions, social institutions, religious institutions, every measure of authority that wasn't them, and now they're pissed off. They're gone. So it's kind of like it's a really interesting sort of thing, you know, the remnants pushing back. And that'd be a good podcast topic, too. Well, I enjoyed the talk, fellas. Thanks. Wonderful. I'm going to use my NPR voice from now on. Just talking to my pants back on. Yeah. Hi. You know, I've got sweaty balls sitting on the chair because I'm not wearing pants. I think there's something on the Internet how to determine what your NPR name would be. You know, Woody Guthrie. Yeah, yeah, no, I forgot what it was. This machine kills fascists. It was like along the first lines of um, your first name is the third English county that you can name. English or Irish? English. And, well, what uh, about Northern know, Ireland? It was, but it was it, it worked. It it tested pretty well. I think I and saw Sussex that. Newcastle. Newcastle. I'll have to go look it up. So my name's Newcastle. Thanks a lot for uh, tweeting that story about the uh, ex um, public radio staffer that is now suing, saying that uh, that uh, that that local radio station was just a, a bastion of intolerance. <laughs> I love it. How can you not love that story? I mean, it's just perfect. It's you oh know, yeah. There's there's how much more good could it be, Peter? The answer is none. None more good. None more good. None and I'll tell you. We we could almost title this podcast on leftist cannibalism. We should we should hold do do a whole thing on leftist cannibalism, and maybe it's our topic going forward. But anyway, with that, I think we should wrap up as Gort's been trying to do for the last five minutes, and you know I've been chatting my ass off. So, good night from upstate New York, and and from uh, lovely snowy Westmont, and from twenty one forty eight. Exposing cracks. <laughs>